Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. This is Jeff Frederick, and I'm joined once again by guest Gene Kim. Gene, thank you for coming back. Jeffrey, I'm so happy to be back and uh, looking forward to another mutually exciting discussion and <laughs> co-creation. Absolutely, co-creation. And uh, let's, uh, we, we, we talked last time about kind of your motivation of uh, working on the, your new book, just published, Wiring the Winning Organization, a fantastic read. Uh, I, I was very happy to, to read it in advance, provide a quote, uh, you know, and when I summarize it as it, it distills a, so many of the lessons that I've learned in, in no joke, 30 years of studying software. And it does a, just an amazing job of abstraction. And you simplify it into this very simple framework. Uh, and, and so let's, let's start there. Let's introduce it. Like, tell me, you know, for someone who doesn't know, Let's talk a little about the book and and how you're you're you described getting to the winning zone and wiring and your three main plays. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. I think uh, uh, the premise of the book is to say that the leaders are responsible for enabling people to do their work easily and well, and uh, the way they do that is uh, by uh, creating the right social circuitry which resides in what we call layer three. So layer one is, you know, the work in front of us, whether that's uh, code in an IDE, the uh, Linux environment that we're trying to configure, uh, the thing that we're trying to assemble, the engine we're trying to design. Layer two is the tools that we use. So it could be the IDE itself, the platform we're running on, uh, you know, the microscope to, you know, see the uh, specimen. And then layer three is the social circuitry. We had mentioned last week, the notion that, uh, how do you get good at creating layer three social circuitry? And we can use the same intuitions and experiences that we use to create great layer one and layer two uh, circuitry, but we do it for the socio parts of the socio-technical system. And the job of layer three is really to make sure that uh, in order for people to do their work easy and well, everyone has to have what they need, when they need it, from whom they need it from, in the right <laughs> format, right place, right time, uh, and so forth. And you know the if we can investigate what the other side looks like is that no one has what they need ever, <laughs> and when they get it, <laughs> wrong time, wrong place, wrong person, wrong format, <laughs> right? And so, um, yeah, I think we've all had experiences where we see systems that fully liberate people's creativity and problem-solving capabilities versus those that constrain or extinguish it. And so, uh, the ways to characterize those two extremes is uh, one is the winning zone, which we call. Uh, let's call let's do the uh, danger zone first. Life is bad when you have to do highly consequential work where everything's tightly coupled. Everything uh, when something goes wrong causes everything to go wrong. Uh, uh, you can't undo, can't learn, can't experiment, right? <laughs> and so that's uh, that's a losing formula. And real quick, now you and this is good. This is part of the, the the book and part of I think the genius of it is that the you and Steve managed to come up with an illustration of this, you know, fraught environment in a seemingly mundane example of, you know, refurbishing oh. <laughs> yeah. a, a hotel. So you didn't need to go to something really uh, a, a touchstone of like a complex software project or, a, you know, an, a, an auto factory or <laughs> some global enterprise. It, and I think you, you can illustrate that this can happen with just a few people on a relatively simple project. And, and I think this really speaks to the universality of the, the principles you're dealing with. So uh, it, it, this, what you're describing, these three levels, you can illustrate it with, you know, painting a room and moving furniture, which is, is brilliant. <laughs> 
Yeah, in fact, you know, um, that, uh, if I can tell you a little bit more of that story and where it came from, I'm, yes. not sure, I'm not sure if you know this. So that was actually inspired by something that our mutual friend Elizabeth Hendrickson Oh yeah, uh, said okay. she said you know she said leadership for her is all about where you draw the lines and it's just uh, and she said you know you can imagine drawing a line where that's like completely not ideal where two people have to work together and they can't you know there's there's something about you the way you draw the line that is like supremely unsuited and, and so this that thought experiment really came from that kernel of an idea and and the notion was hey what if the, you have a project where you have to uh, renovate an old Victorian hotel, right? Say, you know, uh, scores of rooms, and there's three interdependent steps. You have to remove the furniture, paint the room, and put the furniture back in. Seems simple. Seems simple, right? <laughs> so imagine creating two silos, movers and painters. <laughs> and the only way that you can complete the uh, a room is by through a schedule. Of course. Um, How could you do it? How, right? <laughs> and, and so like what ends up happening, I, I proved this in a simulation that I wrote was uh, that um, you easily get into a situation where uh, the mover, you know, painters show up and the furniture is still there and the movers show up and the painters are still painting and it causes this, uh, chaos and disruption and a tightly coupled system where no one can actually work independently. Um, and so we go into a lot of elaborations of what can go wrong, including movers mad at painters, painters mad at movers, uh, uh, you know, uh, we start measuring the painters on number of walls painted, measuring movers <laughs> based on <laughs> very natural, you know, uh, consequences of chaotic output from what what actually sounds like very reasonable starting points. And I think yes. that's the that's the, the the genius of it is 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 it the the place that you drew the line initially in a way seems kind of natural. It seems it, it doesn't seem like it's going to lead to these unexpected consequences, and, and yet it does. So, but then, then you have the way of like, okay, great. Now, what do we do? We, how do we move? This is the danger zone. Yeah. You know, wh where do we want to be? <laughs> well, in fact, if I can just add one more thing, right? Is that something really genuinely surprising happens that you can, as if that weren't bad enough, <laughs> you can add one more rule um, that like, if a room gets behind, you expedite and you have of course. movers break the job and go somewhere else. Yeah. And it turns out like, that's actually causes everything to get worse because you've now, <laughs> what, where you had one problem, now you've created two. Yes. <laughs> because now you have uh, the room that's in trouble and you, now you've broken something, broken another room team uh, to help out. And so you've now spread, now problems spread. And this is a mark of coupling. So yeah, and so anyone in the DevOps community uh, might see the punchline coming. It's like, okay, instead of dividing by functional silos and integrating through a schedule, how about we just divide them up into room teams so movers and painters work on a room independently of each other, right? And uh, we're not allowed to steal movers and painters from another room, right? And uh, this allows a independence of action. Uh, allow, and what's incredible is that just like modularization allows independence of action between room teams, you can also um, create independence of action between the moving, painting, moving operations by uh, defining where the handoffs between those sequential steps are. And that is actually the secret of the Toyota production system where, um, so the fact that modularity and what we're calling linearization, modularization and linearization are actually orthogonal to each other. They're both mechanisms of simplification. And I, boy, what a, what a profound aha moment, right? Um, and that, um, you know, economists even have a term, like they, they can even measure just how vast amounts of value can be unlocked when you 
go from a system where no one can get anything done because everyone's stuck to one where teams can actually work independently, experiment independently, improve independently. Anyway, how am I doing? Fantastic, fantastic. Although I will say we've kind of jumped ahead because so you come that your your changes that your your recipe for getting to this blissful state, you have three elements, and we're kind of talking about the middle one here, right? The simplification, and I think the 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 challenge that a lot of people face is they'll hear about these wondrous interventions, <laughs> but they're like, well, we you know we're not sure how to apply it here. I mean, it's great you were able to figure out for painters and uh, uh, room movers. But there's a step before what, you know, what allows you, what gives you space and time. And, and you have right. this great, this great uh, um, phrase, which is, you know, slowification. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what is slowification? How did you come up with the term? You know, how, where, where, did this, uh, where did this come from? And can you explain what you mean by yeah. slowification? Yeah. So the slowification is uh, trying to uh, describe this concept that there's actually no English word for that we could find. But we have a lot of adages for it, which is like um, slow down to speed up or, you know, sm slow is smooth, smooth, smooth is fast. Is yeah, yeah, exactly. One of my favorites. And uh, yeah, and essentially what it's saying is that you take you make a short term investment for a longer term gain. Uh, oh, you stop sawing to sharpen the saw. Right. There's another one. And so the Germans have a word for this is uh, verbesserung. Um, oh. And yeah, so but there's no, we couldn't find one from English. In fact, I put a blog post out about uh, 40, <laughs> 80 words that ChatGPT came up as candidates, but none of them really worked for us. Because the notion is that at some point, um, you know, you want to uh, pause the game, right? So that you can reconfigure and improve, right? And so uh, one, uh, you can say, all right, with the movie and painting, as bad as things get, you just keep going, right? And, you know, add more incentives or whatever, or you freeze the game, uh, you kind of activate a slower, more deliberative mode of analysis, and uh, you reconfigure the system. You rewire the system. So the Navy Top Gun project was uh, an example of slowification. You know, when uh, too many uh, U.S. Navy pilots were being shot down over uh, the skies of Vietnam. Uh, you know, uh, when in uh, say professional basketball, like when the coach calls timeout, <laughs> right? It's uh -huh. a way to pause the game to reset. Well, actually, um, I'll say this in the book: you have an amazing, the most dramatic story of slowification I've ever come across and it was in the yacht race right oh <laughs> yeah so if I have this right so this was this was a a college teams doing yacht racing somewhere in Europe and one of the universities sent a team where the people hadn't sailed before right. <laughs> <laughs> they had they'd, they'd not sailed they'd not they'd not done it and so they, they, you might predict they would do terrible, and 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 initially they did, but then they they, but they had this weird quirky rule, which was when things would go wrong, they would stop and diagnose it in the middle of the race. <laughs> <laughs> what what was your response to this? I don't. I was just stunned. I thought this is this is amazing. I want everyone to know this story. Oh, it is so great. So this is Adam Trena, and he actually spoke at the DevOps Enterprise Summit uh, two months ago, now Enterprise Technology Leadership Summit. But it was this crazy story of, um, uh, yeah, it was a it was all the business schools competing in a uh, uh, boating uh, regatta. And uh, <laughs> the majority of the teams, as he described, you know, uh, one of them uh, just had circumnavigated the globe. <laughs> one of the coaches <laughs> was an Olympic uh, level, uh, you know, uh, yacht racing something something and uh 
in comparison, in the MIT, uh, this is actually the, the LGO program, uh, progenitor of the program that uh, Steve was a part of. Um, I'm sorry, a descendant of the program that Steve was a part of. Uh, they had 80% had never uh, been on a boat before. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so the, the, the main principles you described was when you have a problem, call it out and pause. And he described like all these um, kind of strange, um, kind of non-conventional things that emerged. Like uh, most of, uh, many of them were, uh, English was not the first language and they had to create a vernacular so that certain terms would not sound like each other, right? That they, okay. uh, uh, they, um, uh, they had, you know, they reconfigured the system to uh, better transmit signals from, you know, the the helm of the boat to other places uh, where, you know, uh, and including the extravagant extreme example of like when a sail got wrapped around, you know, uh, a mast or something, right? They, they paused and, uh, you know, tried to figure out how do we get in the state. The, so the, the punchline is uh, by, they were dead last in the first uh, heat. I think I'm using the right term. Yeah. Uh, they had uh, uh, actually place near first in the second heat, but you know, <laughs> as, as a lot of averages, right? Uh, the th they couldn't keep up. By the second one, they were in first place. And what's astonishing is uh, they had a winning streak uh, that uh, went on for years, including when Adam Trena and the other captain, the only other person with sailing experience, uh, graduated and left yes. the team. <laughs> and so they're now on uh, decades of a winning streak where it shows that because they were so good at uh, creating standard work that it survived the transition of leaders. Um, and it's just this incredible, incredible story. Uh, and we use that as a counterexample of, um, you know, daily workarounds. Like instead of solving the problem, instead of pausing production, right, we're just going to make do. Yeah, normalization uh, of deviance. Normalization right? of deviance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we 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 there's a not there's a nominal process, but the but the process doesn't really work. So we have workarounds, and the workarounds build up, and we kind of make you say make do, and yeah, to stop, diagnose, and then yeah, like you said, they they created this body of knowledge, right? They created a binder that they can then bequeath to the subsequent crews, uh, and and those people could pick up and have all the distilled knowledge of the past. Uh, and and add and the and the and the principles of how to not not just it wasn't dead at the time you pass it on right it was it was the what made it alive was the principle of no we stop and we diagnose as we go and that cultural element that's the wiring of the social technical system right that's the social aspect that we're going to be a learning group as we go and it doesn't make us slower right I mean it does <laughs> it does in that one race in that one heat yep you're slower and then. How many heats are you going to run? How is this is this is not a, a one-time game. This is an infinite game, and so we get the the benefits, you know, for forever going forward. So I, I thought that was a fantastic example and probably the most extreme example of uh, um, slowification uh, that that I could could think of. So yeah, love that. I, I love it. In fact, he spoke at DevOps Enterprise. Um, uh, two months ago, I'll, I'll give you the link. And he's actually going to be fielding Q&A at the uh, unfortunately named GeneCon that's happening next week. Anyway, just uh, where we get to ask him more questions about like, tell us more about this amazing story. And, and maybe just to uh, riff with you, just to use this as a counterexample to the horrible, heartbreaking examples in, in healthcare where the Miss Morrison, Mrs. Morrison, Miss Morrison versus Miss Morrison, where they operated on the wrong patient despite 14 <laughs> no. clear signals that they had the wrong person, including the patient saying, you've got the wrong person. It's just as a kind of a, a very strong example of like what happens when you don't pause in production. Yes, absolutely. So, so 
fantastic. And, and, and grounded in the kind of visceral examples, both of these, that people can appreciate regardless of background. And again, this is what, it, what I really enjoyed about it was to ground it in things that were not technical, that were not domain specific to you know, lean manufacturing to <laughs> software and DevOps and safety culture and all the, you know, the other places, it really was, I thought made it very human in a way that, that, that I think a lot of people couldn't understand. It's not, it's not a software book. It's, right. it's, a, it's about human organizations, human problem solving. Can I add one more thing on that? Uh, Please. So, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I love, so there's like 26 case studies of which uh, I think five or six are technology related. So like they're, they're the Amazons and Googles and so forth. But uh, you know, I think the breathtaking example for me of slowification was, um, you know, uh, the famous Google disaster recovery team. Uh, so it's basically, these are the people who said, all right, when things go wrong, um, that could potentially take out entire data centers uh, at Google. Like how do we make sure that we can actually, uh, you know, function and that we have business continuity? And so uh, they actually rehearsed and planned, you know, the entire data centers in an earthquake. Uh, and one of the things that they found was that there are certain key people uh, that they were still relied on, like the Brents in the Phoenix Project. And so they had this, um, they upped the drills by saying, all right, aliens are now descending upon the earth and they're kidnapping key engineers. Now <laughs> recover. <laughs> um, so now, uh, just like uh, the example of uh, Adam Trena and the MIT sailing team, you don't have you know tr Brent around. You have to rely on the tools that Brent left behind. Um, and by doing that, this is where they found those latent defects and the vulnerabilities in the system. Um, and it takes a lot of courage for leadership to be able to say, if we really care about this, we have to do drills like this, um, uh, and maybe even in production. And 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 the principle that you're describing here, especially from the beginning, you just added is is that you're. You're you're learn you have deliberate learning that set aside your carving time out to to learn that is not always in production right you you can you know, how do we learn without with from a deliberate experience as opposed to whatever happens to occur in the routine part of our jobs right because I I heard people say that like well don't we just learn in fact there was a blog post not long ago um, from I think it was Jason Freed from uh, Basecamp Thirty Seven Signals and he's said basically like. Uh, retrospectives most there's too many retrospectives you know <laughs> if you're if you're smart you just learn from experience um you know I, I i kind of appreciate what he's saying and there is learning but it it's not the same kind of learning that you get from this kind of deliberate practice and this carving time out uh it feels like you're going slower because you're making the the time to learn rather than do something quote unquote productive Right, and it's a it's a tap a phrase that uh, you know, that uh, I've heard you say so many times, uh, quoting Spinal Tap. You know, so what does it look like when you turn to eleven? Yeah, <laughs> and, and you know that's of course Netflix Chaos Monkey, right? It's like okay, you, we are now going to uh, deliberately turn off VMs in production <laughs> during office hours, so that developers are going to get very good at ensuring that the services that they put in production can survive. You know, uh, VMs just disappearing. Right, which is how they survived the first big EC2 failure of uh, the AWS East uh, one availability zone. Um, so when you really care about it, you don't uh, you don't just plan and prepare. You actually do drills in live production to see if you are as good as you think you are. That that's right. And now, and this is I want to connect back. People in our audience may have heard about these things before. They've heard about Chaos Monkey, maybe even Chaos Gorilla. 
And they thought, oh, it'd be great to work in an organization where leadership supported that. And I think this is where I hope that this book can come in and play a role of saying, of abstracting the conversation so that you don't need to go convince, you know, your, your um, head of product or, you know, the, the head of sales, you know, what we need is we need, we need time for chaos monkey. You know, that, that doesn't, I, I haven't found that to be universally effective. It works some places, but not everywhere. But to say, look, we need to slow things down to have some deliberate learning that so that we are resilient, so that we're effective, so that we, you know, can we can improve our performance. We want to go faster. And here, you know, this is what I find. When you tell people we want to make sure we're more effective and faster so we can deliver more, now you have some people's attention and you say, look, and here's evidence about how slowification, you know, now this non-technical, non, you know, jargon, it's not from software, it's not from lean word and language, I think can really help that conversation. That's my, that's my hope that for our audience, they'll be able to take that forward. And uh, I'm right there with you. It would be my, nothing would make me happier than to have slow fi to be part of the vernacular, to be a shorthand to say, oh man, look what's happening. Like we need a slow fi and have that be just a shorthand to say, oh, I know what you're thinking. Uh, absolutely. Uh, because this is not tolerable. Yeah. Fantastic. You know what? Um, Gina, this has been so fun, but I, I'm looking at our clock and we're getting, getting up about time. I, I know there's a lot to ask. Would you be willing to come back one more time for one more episode? And we can, I think, get through uh, uh, the simplification and amplification. Would that make sense? Absolutely. All right. <laughs> Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, so uh, uh, thank you, Gene and uh, listeners. I uh, hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. We'll be back next week uh, on uh, same bat time, same bat channel. You can find us at uh, agileconversation.com where you find our Twitter and our email address and you can get a hold of us, find past episodes. And of course, you'll find us in all your favorite podcast listeners and hope to see you next week.